0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, for a round two, we have the one and only Josh Braun, the King of Crispy.
1: Nick, why should people listen? Armand, I've always been an animal lover, but today we're going to talk about how poking bears can help you start more conversations. Three, two, one. okay. Okay.
0: And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes.
1: All right, Josh, welcome back to the show. You remember that we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three.
2: Poke the bear. My brother recently sold his company for $25 million, sold to vets. Let me tell you how he did it. He poked the bear. So he'd walk into a veterinary clinic he'd look a veterinarian in the eye and he'd he'd say this, hey, hey, Dr. Jones, I was just up the street with uh, Max. He was telling me he's so irked when he recommends products in his clinic and pet owners take out their phones and they will look at the product and just buy it online and then just walk out. And I was just wondering like, how are you dealing with that? That's called poking the bear. You're asking a question that's gonna get people to think differently about how they're getting the job done. And what that usually does is it makes people lean forward and go, whoa whoa, 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 what do you mean? And that changes the whole dynamic of a cold call. So my first tip, poke the bear.
1: Love it. What's number two, Josh?
2: Number two is detaching from the outcome. So when your intent is to book a meeting and when your intent is to persuade everybody, you end up saying and doing things that feel salesy. And when people feel the push, they pull away. Nobody likes being sold, you don't, I don't, nobody does. And so this idea is to not book the meeting and have your intent on booking the meeting, but instead focus on getting to the truth, which is, does the person want to continue talking or do they not? And be okay with it either way about conversations with an S, not a conversation changes the whole game.
1: Love it. What's number three, Josh, round us out.
2: Stop trying to persuade people that might be counterintuitive, but when you try to persuade people, they pull away. So we're going to talk a little bit about how you create an environment where people can persuade themselves or not because you can't create motivation, you can only align with it. So you're the arbiter of unbiased information just like my brother was in that previous example. He's putting a story out there, he's asking a question and then he's letting the prospect decide for themselves if this is something that's catching their interest and attention. Uh, you know this with teens, you tell them to stop smoking, they smoke even more. It's called the backfire effect, it doesn't work.
0: So I took this stop persuading thing to heart and in my own pipeline, now I've gotten to the point where Someone says like, hey, this isn't a Q2 thing. It's Q2 right now. This is more of a Q4 thing. And I hear the Josh Braun in my head yelling at me saying, don't, don't try to persuade them, right? But I can't just roll over and just keep kicking all my ops to Q4. So wh- where do I start to draw that line? How do I persuade them or align myself with their interests?
2: Yeah, I think the best thing to start to think about is the problem alone isn't enough. We got to know how big and expensive, how big that gap is relative to everything else they have on their plate. Small gap, small problem. Probably not going to close. Four questions you want to ask. Lots of ways to ask them, but let me give you my four. So, first is what are you measuring? Like, is is it calls? Is it revenue? Is it meetings? Like, what are you measuring? How do you know you're you're doing well? What, What is it that you're measuring? Question two is what is it now? So, we're booking five meetings. We're measuring meetings. We're booking five meetings. What do you want it to be to be able to hit your revenue goal? Well, you need it to be 10. Assuming your conversion rates hold, what's the value of the difference? over time, quarter over quarter. quarter. What things have you bumped into? What have you tried? The psychology behind that question is typically, if you look at it from a jobs to be done theory, which is how people buy, people don't typically just switch automatically. They try a bunch of things first. When my wife told me she was uncomfortable sleeping in the bed, not just because she was sleeping with me, but because she was having some aches. The last thing I started to think about was buying a new bed. I'm like, flip over, go to the other side, we'll reverse the bed, we'll flip the mattress, I'll sleep in the other room, like anything to avoid spending $3,000. You'll hear that when you listen to people. You wanna see, are they at the beginning of the timeline or are they at the end? That's That's another tell. So again, what are you measuring? What is it now? What do you want it to be? What's the value of the difference? What obstacles? And then a question I always like to ask is, can't this wait? Wouldn't it be easier to just do this internally, like with training? I say all the time, you guys got three sales managers. Wouldn't it be easier just to have your sales managers do this? Your VP is not going to want some kindergarten teacher coming in when there's like three. You guys have been in sales for 15 years. Well, we haven't really talked about that. That's probably not going to close because they haven't tried something. They haven't had the struggle. It's the struggle. Three, four, five times they've tried a bunch of things along with the cost of that difference. So that's a, that's a, that's a $300,000 thing between where we are and where we want to be. And your thing costs twenty, and they've been struggling for a while, more likely to close. And then a simple question, which nobody asks, which I think is, uh, is, is is a tragedy, which is, is this something you want to do something about this 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 quarter? Like just because it's a big problem that you think, because you have commission breath, of course you think it is, doesn't necessarily mean they think it is. So I just like to ask, is this something you even want to do about something this this quarter? And if you do nothing, does anything happen? If the answer is no, that deal's probably not going to close. And I just detach from those.
0: So this is amazing. I want to dig into number four. Happens a lot with outbound deals where the, the question is, what have you already tried to do? Well, I outbounded you. I probably caught you mid-feel in the problem, but not so much that you requested a demo yet. Right? And they might not have tried to do a lot yet, but some of those are winnable deals. So if I find that out, they haven't tried to do much about it. Then what do I do?
2: So you illuminate the cost of inaction. So what, what do I mean by that? So I'll give you a clear example. There was a, a friend of mine, so she was a salesperson and she was copying and pasting repetitive text into emails. Zoom links, calendar links, snippets of text. She would copy them in, sometimes she would actually type them in. And I asked her if she's ever heard of a product called Text Expander. And I explained to her what that is. Essentially you can assign keys to your Zoom link, to your calendar, you hit a key and it just pastes it in there. And she goes, oh, that's, that sounds cool, but I'm a pretty fast typer. Like, I don't really need that. That's a typical response, right? So I said, hey, um, if you'd like, let's just see how much time you're spending doing that. And we took out a spreadsheet and we started to calculate the amount of minutes it was taking her. And then we multiplied that by 30. We multiplied that by six months and eight months. And it was like five or six hours a month she was losing. But once she saw that and she saw the price of text expanded, which was, I don't know, $15, I said, why don't you try for a week and see what's like five? She switched because you highlight the cost of inaction. Sometimes prospects don't know what they don't know. That's your job as an outbound rep. This gets back to poking the bear. Most of the time, when you reach out to someone, they're getting the job done. Your job is to tell them something they don't know that can hurt them and to show the cost of inaction so that they can decide if it's something they want to pursue.
1: Josh, you've talked about this jobs to be done theory a couple of times, and I've been following you on LinkedIn for a while. And it looks like you're using those two things, the jobs to be done and the illuminating question to formulate your prospecting approach. And I'm wondering if you can talk about how that all ties together.
2: Yeah. So a lot of times people sell because they've been taught how to sell, but the way people buy is very different. So salespeople are comped on quota and meetings and booking demos. Um, Prospects aren't. Prospects are only interested in one thing, making progress, getting from point A to point B. In my example with the bed, my wife starts to complain, and all of a sudden, in jobs language, I have what's called an initial thought. I'm now thinking about it for the first time. I'm way over here, and buying's over here because there's this first thought. Then I don't do anything about it. Then something else happens, and I try something else, and et cetera, et cetera. So when we're doing outbound, we're at the beginning, we're trying to create the initial thought by poking the bear. And the problem we have as salespeople is we're now also trying to set a demo, which is way over here. So it's no wonder when we start these cold calls in a way where we're pitching the demo and prospects can smell that. It's like, dude, it's way, I don't even understand. You're too far ahead. That's why the poking the bear approach, I think, works a little bit better on a cold call perspective, even an email, which is you're trying to just provoke someone to think differently. You're trying to get this on the cold call. What is this? What do you mean? And now they're sort of leaning forward a little bit. So that's the kind of shift there, the poke the bear approach is to just get that initial thought so that the prospect has some space in their brain to say, what is this thing that I might not know about? What's this initial thought? We're initial thought creators. We're not closers. So that's the shift from the buyer to the seller's perspective.
1: So in that example, what do you do when you've asked that question and you're not gonna get the not interested, but instead they say, what are you trying to sell me?
2: Great. Now that's a great, that's a great question. Let's talk about that. On a cold call, it's always the opposite. We're always pitching at people. So what we want is this, what I call, I call it the flip. We want to create these conversations where the prospect is saying just what you said, what are you selling? So what I'm going to say to that is this. I apologize, Nick, if I came across as trying to sell you something. So the first thing I'm gonna say out of my mouth. The reason I'm gonna say that is because that to me feels like pressure. When someone says to me, what are you selling? I, that, my brain goes to, uh-oh, I've created pressure because I'm associated and they've had some bad experiences with salespeople. So I gotta diffuse that right away. So I'm gonna to go to a, what Chris Voss calls the late night DJ FM voice. So I'm really sorry if I came across I trying to sell you something. But what I mean specifically, Josh, is we work with podcast hosts like yourself who are doing these great interviews But they're in situations where they have a backlog and they're not able to edit them, and they just you know sit there in the queue. Notice a second thing here is I'm not trying to replace my process. I'm saying we work with people in those situations when these situations come up, so we can get them off their plate and get podcast-ready episodes, show-ready for those situations when they have a backlog. Well, how do you do that? Hey, I don't want to want to take up much of your time. You want to like continue the conversation, right? So. To the extent that we can complement and not rip out, we're going to reduce friction. Whenever you hear that confrontational energy to say, I'm, I'm sorry. It sounds like I'm coming It sounds like I have my commission breath. I, I have that sometimes. I'm working on it. It sounds like it smells pretty bad over there. I'm always, I was, I'm always coming back. I'm very cognizant of any time I hear sales pressure. I'm just trying to diffuse the fear people have of being sold. It's very real, especially on a cold call.
0: So could you talk about how you're just calling that stuff out? Like what, what are other places, either in your cold calls and your prospecting, whatever, where you're just basically saying like, hey, my com- commission breast smells a little bit today.
2: So here's the rule of thumb that I use. I learned this from Chris Voss. He said it brilliantly to me when I, I had him on my podcast, because I asked him the same question. He, it was brilliant. He's like, if you feel it in your gut that you're making someone uncomfortable, say it. So anytime I feel someone is uncomfortable, I just had this last week. I was in a negotiation with a VP of sales on some some work that I'm doing. And I felt like in my gut that he thought I was being unfair with some terms. And I just said, hey, John, it sounds like I'm being unfair. And he just unloaded. I mean, Chris Voss talks about this, just because you don't admit the elephants in the room doesn't mean it's not there. And so if you feel anything in your gut, even in your personal life, you feel like something's afoot, you just label it. it. Sounds like I'm being a real jerk. It's very difficult for someone to come at you when you do that.
0: So Josh, I know you use this a lot in, I think you called it tongue-tied, right? Yeah. You came up with something like 32 flashcards for how you handle objections. So I don't want to bring the audience through all 32 of them, but would you be opposed to me picking two or three of the top ones? And maybe we we hear your take on those ones and maybe you throw some labels in there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so for context, you know, the, the problem that a lot of salespeople have is prospects raise objections and it gets them tongue-tied. And the thought that I had a while back when I used to be an elementary school teacher is I would quiz kids on multiplication tables by holding up these flashcards. And so what I did is I just turned flashcards um, into objections. So objection on the front and then response on the back. So what to say on the back. And it uses a lot of these approaches that I learned from boss and FBI negotiators and just my own approach. And I put 32 of them there and you can actually quiz yourself so that you feel a little less off balance. So yeah, well, let's, let's go through a couple of them. See how we see how I do.
0: <laughs> righty. So, I mean the common, the most common one that I get, Nick, I don't know for you, but I, I get swatted a lot where it's just like, I'm not interested. Sometimes before I even explain the problem that I solve, it's like, I do the phone open and they're like, I'm not interested. I'm like, you know what we do? And they're like, I'm not interested. I'm like, all right, that didn't work. So what do you do?
2: So someone says they're not interested The psychology behind it is one of two or three things. One is you're not interesting. Meaning what you're saying is not helping that person's life better in a way that they haven't heard before. You're sounding like you're selling more sneakers. I'm running already. Not interesting. You're not meaningfully different. I just want to talk about that for a second because it's a very important concept. And I'm going to get to the script in a second, but I want to try to prevent it first. So what I mean by meaningfully different is Imagine you're driving down the street and you see a U-Haul, back of a U-Haul, advertisement. On the left-hand side, it said, our loading docks, and they're really low to the ground, easy loading docks. Then it says, our competitors loading docks, and they're like four feet higher. That's meaningfully different because I'm not going to get injured and it's easier for me to load my docks versus we're yellow and they're red. So if I don't perceive in your message and how you're saying it, this is any different than what I'm doing, you're going to get an I'm not interested. Or if the problem isn't relevant or if I'm making progress or if I don't have the big enough problem, like I'm making progress, you're going to get an I'm not interested. So that's culprit number one is you're not relevant. It's not it's not a relevant problem. Culprit number two is a reflex reaction to a salesperson. And that is caused by you saying, my name is Josh with Acme and I'm a sales and I'm worth Josh Braun sales consulting. Culprit number three is it's interesting, but not right now. So it's, it's, it's interesting, but given everything I have, it's, 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 not a, it's not anything good. So the way I would diffuse that, the way I diffuse everything is someone says, this isn't interesting. And I might say something like, I'm sorry, not, not interesting. That's what Chris Voss calls a mirror. And i might say, yeah, dude, I, I'm not interested in that." Hey, no, no problem. Before I get off the phone, if it's not too much trouble. Now, let me explain to you the phraseology and why I'm doing this, because I don't care if you use these words or not, but I want you to understand the psychology. If you were to approach someone that you didn't know at a bar or a restaurant, and you wanted to ask them something, their biggest fear is, oh my God, how long is this gonna take? So if you, walk, if you walk, up, walk up to someone and you say, hey, I just got a quick question. I actually got my wife and kids waiting for me over there. I just have a second. That's gonna diffuse the pressure because they know it's not gonna take long. They don't want you sitting down while they're eating their bagel and cream cheese, talking to them for a while. So the phraseology that I use, is, say, hey, before we get off the phone, because they know it's almost over, right? If it's not too much trouble, that's not too much trouble. It wouldn't be so much if a big imposition. Is it that this isn't really something that's, you know, you, you've got something you're happy with? Or is it something like you're not really have any projects like this? Or you just think like you can't stand getting cold calls. Frankly, I don't really like making them either. Like I might say something kind of like that. And what that's going to do is it's going to just sort of bring out the truth. Especially if I deliver it in the right way. And the delivery is everything. And the reason I'm able to deliver it like that is because I've practiced that flashcard for 10 years. Literally, I've refined it a little bit. I've changed it a little bit, but I've been, you guys have been selling for a while. That's probably the biggest objection that I used to hear before I flipped my script a little bit, started doing it a little bit differently. I'll give you another example because I know you guys love tactical stuff. So those Ryan Reiser stuff that I did last week, um, I went eight for 10. And this was exactly what I said, word for word. Prospect picked up the phone. Hey, John, my name is Josh Braun. Uh, we've never spoken before. Why do I say that? It answers the number one question they have, which is, do I know you? I saying like, you and I've never spoken before, but I was on your LinkedIn. I was, I'm hoping I could ask you one question. Hmm, what's this question? What's on my, like, that's a good opener, right? Cause I'm, I'm making me curious and I'm asking for uh, sh- sh- sure. So I'd say, I don't know, 95% of the time they're like, w- w- what is it? What do you need? Uh, thanks. I promise I'll be brief. So several thousand salespeople use my guide to book meetings with prospects let me break down that that's credibility like several thousand several thousand SDRs using this guide i made a year ago to book meetings with prospects credibility statement reason i'm calling and it looks like you have SDRs reason i'm calling is that i'm hosting an event where i'm going to be sharing my slideshow called five ways to start conversations over cold email that you're probably not using and i was just wondering if that's something that you'd find interesting or do you hate cold emails hate getting them hate sending them Right. And I was sponsored by Postal. They were gonna ship these people beer. So I'd also say, you're also gonna to get to enjoy some craft beer along the way. Um, Is that something you'd like to see or do you hate cold beer and cold emails? And I, you guys could listen to the recordings on Ryan Reiser's channel. Like, I, I wanna say 90% of the time they're laughing. No, I don't, I love cold beers. Or the one guy said, I'm a diabetic. I'm like, we have, he goes, do you have diabetic beer? I'm like, I don't know. Give your beer to somebody else. What do you think I am? a What do you think this is a restaurant? I have no idea. What about just a slideshow? Is it all about the beer for you? Because if it's not, we're not going to get along. Like I'm pulling back because I'm not so desperate. I'm like, the offer's so good. So this is another kind of cold calling secret is I'm aligning with where the buyer is. I'm offering something educational that the buyer is probably interested in to kind of get the conversation going. So I'm not thinking about the sale. I'm thinking about teaching. I'm not thinking about prospects. They're a student. It changes the whole mentality of a cold call too. If you're reluctant to call and you're offering something education that you are teaching as a sales rep, because you've partnered with marketing and you've made your own five slide deck on something that you're going to teach and you're going to offer that on a cold call, changes the game in terms of conversations you can start and resistance that you'll get, changes the game. Because you're aligned now with where the people are. Like everyone wants to learn something new that they don't know about. Like if I called you guys, honestly, and I said, hey, Nick, i um, Uh, the reason I'm calling, I saw you guys have a podcast show and I'm doing an event where you can learn some techniques for attracting people like X, Y, and Z. And I was just seeing if that was something you'd find value in, or you're not interested in attracting those kind of people. I would imagine you just want small potatoes like Braun. You just want to stay down there with him? Or do you guys want to go up to like Cardone and those kind of guys? I'm making stuff up, but you kind of get the vibe of it. Right. And that that bit at the end, do you hate cold emails or do you hate cold calls? That's a Voss technique. That's a typical. No, I don't hate them. I love beer. Like that's kind of rather than. Do you want to do this? How's Tuesday at five? That's the pressure, right? That's everybody. Do you have your calendar out? <laughs> How about Tuesday? How about Wednesday? For you could feel the you can feel the push
0: there. So, Josh, this is pretty different, I think, from the I guess the traditional cold call openers, and definitely I even think some of the ones that I've heard in the past is. Yeah, I think you've talked about it before where you say like, you want to describe a really crispy problem, for example. And you even talked about that earlier in the interview. And I thought that might be how you plan to open your cold calls, but you're not even describing the problem you're solving yet. Is, is that pretty fair to say?
2: Yeah. There, there's two approaches for cold calling and it depends on what you're selling. But the first approach is what we use with my brother. Or I'm not ta- I'm talking about a pro I'm, I'm telling a story that relates to a struggle that I think the person has that they can relate to. All right. so another guy was doing some e-commerce stuff. He had some retargeting technology. one of the ones, Ad Shopper was the name of the company, I think he's like, hey, Josh, you know, you, you go on these websites and you are interested in something. You're on your mobile phone, you put something in your shopping cart and then you get distracted, your baby's crying or whatever, your phone rings and you just leave it there, you never come back. Um, we call those e-commerce ghosts. How are you dealing with those today? Like that's kind of approach number one. And then approach number two is what I call the invite, which is what we just discussed with, with Ryan Reisert, which I use a lot for my business because that just works for me. Like I love to teach and teaching forms such a strong bond, but a lot of reps struggle with that one because they say to me, I, what am I teaching? I don't know how to do that. I'm supposed to book a demo. Um, so I have that second approach, but ideally the first approach where you're offering something educational um, that someone's interested in, to me yields more conversations than the the sort of product centric uh, pitch, but both can work. And so you test these two approaches. And then you have to deliver. So when I get on these calls, I actually do have a five slide presentation where I share my perspective. You guys definitely have a perspective. What's your point of view? How are you going to poke the bear? What's wrong with the world? Jason Freed is a great friend of mine. He's a founder and CEO of Basecamp. I'll never forget this. About eight months ago, he called me up. He's like, hey, I'm working on this new product. I'm like, what are you working on? He's like, it's an email thing. It's called, Hey, I'm going to charge 99 bucks a year for it. And I'm like, why the hell would I pay 99 bucks a year for email? It's free. And he said something that I'll never forget. Notice what he's doing. He's not going to sell me, right? He's going to say this, listen to this brilliant sentence out of Jason Freed. Um, email isn't free. And he shut his mouth. Now, what do you think I said? What do you mean? Exactly. He says, well, you're paying for your privacy. So Gmail scans through your inbox looks at your receipts and sells your personal data to advertisers. And I go, they do? He goes, yeah. So it's not really free. So if that matters to you, we got this thing where you pay and you don't have to deal with that, but it doesn't matter to everyone. Does, it, does that even bother you at all or not really? Notice how different that is than let me tell you how great Hay is. Like Jason Fried's built his whole business on that. He's explaining his point of view and allowing people to persuade themselves. If you don't align with his worldview, that's cool. Use Gmail. I had a thing on LinkedIn yesterday. Somebody said, what happens if you, know, I, I, you ask that question, do you hate cold beer and cold email? And they say, yes, what do you do then? How do you overcome that? I go, I don't. I say, thank you. And I call the next number. Cause there's plenty of people that are, that are okay, that, that are interested in that. I'm not gonna try to persuade everyone. That's too much pressure. I don't wanna do that. Let other people persuade themselves. What are you selling? I'm sorry if I came across as trying to sell you something. I, I got this commission breath. I've been trying to work on it. It's, clearly it's not licked yet. I'm a work in progress. I'm just calling to see if you're open to a different perspective on generating leads without traditional advertising spending on Facebook that are targeted that your salespeople would like.
1: Josh, this has been phenomenal. I learned so much from you. We got to move to the final question because we're running out of time. The last question is this. We've talked about a lot of good habits salespeople should be incorporating into their sales life. And now we got to talk about a bad habit. So my question for you is what is one bad habit that you think all salespeople need to break because it's hurting them more than it's helping?
2: Yeah. Talking. Yeah. If we, if we just, if we just stop talking so much and we learn how to listen, listening is one of those things we take for granted. And that's a tragedy because listening is a skill that can be mastered and learned, but you lose the ability to improve upon it unless you realize that it is a skill that can be learned. So go deep into stuff like Voss and practice listening in your personal life. You're probably not very good at it as I am not by default. And so I have to work really hard on listening.
1: Josh, anything you want to plug before we jump off here?
2: The usual stuff, joshbron.com, badass B2B growth guide and poke the bear and my tongue tongue tongue-tied cards, which are sold out, but hopefully getting some more in stock soon. Learn how to diffuse objections so you don't feel tongue-tied when prospects put you on the spot.
1: Everybody go follow Josh on LinkedIn. He posts some really incredible stories that every time I see a post from him, I'm like, oh good, I'm going to learn more today. And I think I owe you a lot of money, Josh, some cold beer, because you've made me a lot of money. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap from Armand. Coming up soon. Cheers. Today's Deal Acceleration Cheat Code is brought to you by Pipe Drive, which is a CRM built by sellers
0: Your top four takeaways from this episode with Josh Braun include, number one, when a prospect says this isn't the priority right now, maybe it's a priority in two quarters, do not try to persuade them. Instead, understand what the difference or how expensive that gap is going to be for them right now. Number two, always sell from the buyer's perspective. One thing you can do is you can poke the bear. And the way you do that is you just lift or create the initial thought that there might be something missing before throwing all your features at them. Number three, there are three reasons why not interest happens. It's either your product isn't relevant to them, you led with your company and they're on the defense, or number three, they could be interested, but it's not a good time. The way you handle this is you diffuse it by mirroring them and then get to the actual reason they're not interested. And then lastly, number four, two different cold call approaches. You can start with poke the bear, or you can start with the invitation. You can try to generate some interest with education. In other words, say, I was was wondering if you could help me out. I have XYZ collateral, and I was wondering if that was interesting at all, or if you hate XYZ. And that's it. All righty, Nick.
1: How can people help us out? Well, Armand, I got to tell you, I am a really big fan of guacamole, specifically the Chipotle guacamole. And I haven't always been able to afford it until recently. Because I don't know if you've noticed, we've brought on a lot of new sponsors to 30 Minutes to President's Club. And those sponsors have been so generous that now when I go out to eat, I can buy the guac for me, I can buy some for my girlfriend, and I can even get a side to bring home and eat later. And I'd like to be able to keep doing that. And so, audience, it would be really meaningful if you checked out the links in today's show notes, because we've got links to our sponsors' websites, and on those websites... Armand and I have recorded some special bonus content that you can only get if you follow those links. So allow me to keep eating guac, support our sponsors, and we'll see you all next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club.
0: Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30
1: MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. That's...